Good morning once again. Thank you all for joining us. A couple announcements as we uh, get started. A couple things we have going on. So this past week we started our uh, weekly Tuesday night prayer meeting. We're going to do a Tuesday night Zoom prayer meeting um, every week uh, focused on all kinds of different topics, different uh, styles of prayer, really just a chance for us to gather, um, even virtually, to spend some time in prayer together. So the first one was Tuesday night. We're going to send out that email every Monday to remind you. Um, it's also on social media. But Tuesday, 630, uh, you could jump on Zoom and uh, just jump in for prayer. We're keeping these to about 45 minutes-ish. Um, if they go long because the Spirit is moving, amen and amen. Uh, but in general, we're going to keep them relatively uh, to about 45 minutes to an hour. So that's Tuesdays at 6.30. And then Fridays um, on social media, we're putting out a video every week, um, about 10 to 15 minutes-ish of, uh, again, prayer and scripture, just trying to help us get into those rhythms as we get into fall and we start to try and work our way back to uh, getting into just some healthier rhythms, getting involved, getting engaged with one another. We're going to do that around prayer and scripture and the things that we value deeply. So um, that's going to be Tuesday nights, Friday afternoons, about noon or so on Fridays. That's going to get posted uh, so you can kind of just go into your weekend ready to go and uh, using scripture as that guide and then um, tonight, actually this afternoon, you'll get, uh, it'll get posted on social media, and then an email will go out where we are launching um, a nine-week prayer for racial unity, for justice, for um, finding peace. Um, so every week on Sunday, there's going to um, be a post on our social media page. Um, it's uh, usually going to be scripture, a couple of things to meditate, meditate on focus on. Uh, there's also going to be a little bit of an activity for kids, for those of you with families, with kids, you want to get them involved. Um, and then this afternoon, we're going to send out the PDF of the whole thing, so you have the whole thing. Um, if you're not all about social media, you'll have the whole document, and it'll go on the website this week as well. Um, but that'll be every Sunday. So we're starting to try and find, again, some ways to just kind of gather and, and refocus, reshape ourselves around prayer, around scripture, around community, our grace place, um, our kids program for Grace Place, we're working on that, getting that organized for the kids, hopefully going to start in October, focusing around the fruit of the Spirit. Um, that's coming up soon. Uh, and then community groups, we're getting finalized for when that and how that's going to look ex- as well. So lots of things coming up. Um, so this morning, we're going to be in First Peter uh, chapter 3 as we continue in our series um, of Solid Ground, Finding Stability in Unstable Days. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Peter 3, and as you're turning there, uh, I'd like to thank uh, my wife, Sarah, who has stepped in the last two weeks to help lead worship for us as Daniel uh, and his family is out of town. Sarah has graciously jumped in um, to be able to help us out with that and has been uh, just a great blessing. So thank you, sweetheart. I very much appreciate and love you. Um, So uh, this morning, as I said, we're going to be in 1 Peter 3. I want to give us a a brief recap of where we've been as we continue pushing through uh, in this series. Peter is writing to a variety of Christians in different churches, all within a general proximity of each other, uh, but they are different stages in different cities. And it reminds them, right in the beginning, reminds them that by becoming Christians, by being saved, you are putting your faith in Christ. You have been born again. You have received a new life. And that new life means something. It means something for your future, for your eternity, yes, but it also means something now. It affects us now. It changes us now. And not only that, but waiting for the Christian is an inheritance that Peter says is imperishable. It is protected by God himself for when we meet him face to face. But until that time, we live in a place that is not our home. Peter uses the phrase, and we've talked about it a lot since going into this book, elect exiles. 
We are chosen by God, elect, but we are exiles because we are chosen by God, because we have this new life, this new identity, these new ways of thinking, these new heart. Um, that makes us strangers here. This is not home. But that doesn't mean that we avoid and ignore the world, that we all just make this little Christian utopia siloed off from the world. Instead, we engage as strangers in this world, pointing people to God in the way that we live and act. We are called to be a people set apart, pursuing holiness because that is who our God is and that is what he has saved us to. We say it often that you have been saved from hell to be a blessing to others. That is what the Christian life looks like. And then we get into chapter 2, and that deals with many of the aspects of what this means practically. What does it mean to live this way different in this world? And what does it mean to live as a stranger, an alien, a foreigner in this world? Practically speaking, in relationships. And Peter talks about relationships within the church. Relationships in regards to us and government authorities, some of which we agree with, some of which we don't. Relationships, he talks about with slaves and masters, which we talked about uh, any relationship with a clear difference in uh, authority between you and another person. So working at your job as a student, those kind of things. Last week we talked about what does it look like for wives to live in a way um, that, is, that is glorifying God, especially when they have maybe a non-believing husband, as was very common at that time. All of these relationships and situations revolve around and find their motivation in the desire to glorify God at our core. It's not the person or the institute or the relationships here that drive us, but rather our relationship with God, the God who made us and knows us and loves us, that drives us to live in a countercultural way. And so that leads us to our verse this morning. Yes, one verse this morning. So last week we talked about wives, we talked about uh, what does that relationship look like, and so husbands, this morning it is your turn. And so my goal for us this morning, as it is every morning that we gather on a Sunday, is to always be celebrating and rejoicing in the glory and majesty of God. And so today, while a lot of the focus is going to be on husbands, and I think it's a great day to do that as we have a couple of uh, gentlemen who have just entered into uh, getting engaged and are going to be husbands in the near future here um, with us this morning Today we're going to focus a lot on husbands but, and what God is calling to us into that role, but my hope is all of us this morning will be convicted and challenged and encouraged by what God is calling us to and what God is doing in our midst. I've heard a lot of these sermons, especially the ones aimed at husbands, that often end up just being, hey, you're failing at this, so do better. And that's not the point of this sermon, that's not the point of the text. The point is, God has given us a role as husbands to live out with the ultimate objective of showing the world how Christ loves us. We as husbands don't do this perfectly. We don't always even do it, but we press on and we hopefully this morning all of us will walk away with a deeper love of God and some tangible ways we can evaluate and pursue loving our wives well and even loving others well in general. And so as we go through this morning, I do this, I say this and I preach this message not as a husband who has this figured out and does this perfectly, but as a husband who has been sitting in this verse for the last seven days being convicted by what Christ is calling us to and wanting to grow um, in the way that I am a husband to Sarah as well. So um, lots to cover this morning, even though it's just one verse. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. So uh, please bow your heads and, and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for the cool breeze. Lord, we thank you for another day that we get to celebrate and, and worship you and 
spend time with you and just be in your presence, be in your word, that while the week can get away from us, can we can get overrun with things to do and meetings and classes and work and all of the busyness of life, we have this time every week to just be and just be with you, to find our rest in you. And so, Lord, I, help, I pray that you would help us do that this morning, that we would sit in your word, that we would hear from you and rest in your presence, rest in your grace, rest in your mercy that you have for us. Lord, we come this morning seeking to encounter with you. And you tell us over and over in Scripture that if we do that, if we come looking for you, you're going to show up. And so, Lord, I ask that you would show up this morning through all of the different elements of our service, as we sing, as we pray, as we read, as I preach, as we do all of these things, as we take communion, even as we give of our offerings, Lord, as we do all these things, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would fill us up so that we can continue to walk in this world as lights for you. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of this because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to be in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verse, uh, in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Nice and short this morning, but lots to unpack. He begins, likewise. So as we've already covered this morning, just as... Wives, be subject to your husband, just as slaves be subject to your masters, just as Christians be subject to every human institution, in the same way that the motives for all of those people and all of those situations he's already covered over the last chapter and a half have been, your motive is not the person or institution we're talking about, your motive is to glorify Christ in the way you live as a person, the way you live as a student, the way you live as a person under the government. In the way that you do that, you are to glorify God, and in the same way, husbands, you should hear what is in this verse and respond because you want to live as Christ did. The exhortation, the encouragement that is here in verse 7, your goal and motivation is to live as Christ did. And he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Literally, that is, live with your wife according to knowledge. And again, this is husband to wife. Just as we said last week with wives be subject to your own husbands, this is not all women be subject to all men, and this is not all husbands live, you are over your wife. This is not what the Bible is ever going to say. This is specifically one man, one woman, husband and wife. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live, literally, live with your wife with knowledge. Live with. This is a word that is actually um, only used here in Scripture only used here in 1 Peter. And it's a word reserved for husband and wife living together as husband and wife. So there is the, the sexual one flesh component here. It's a word for husband and wife specifically. It's more than just sharing a house. You aren't just roommates. You are one flesh. You live together. You engage with one another. You interact with one another. You are intertwined in each other's lives. You are not just Two people going about your independent lives who occasionally have a meal together, occasionally have sex together. That's not what this word has in mind. There is a deeper connection here. And I realize there are times and seasons of our lives where schedules are opposite and quality time is hard to come by. And so right here, this is right off the bat, Peter saying, Husbands, this is where you take the lead. This is where you find ways to make it happen. 
you put in the intentional care and initiative to make sure you and your wife are not just sharing a space, but you are living with each other, as it says in Scripture. Live with your wife. Engage with her. And you do this in an understanding way. You do this with knowledge. Where does knowledge come from? Scripture tells us knowledge begins in God. It begins in your relationship with God. Fellas, you've got to be in the Word. You've got to be opening up the Bible. You have to be being fed from Scripture. Be in the Word. Be putting that into your head. Be putting that into your heart so that when you engage with your wife, you, what is flowing out of you is God's Word. What's flowing out of you is the truth and grace and love and mercy of the Bible that God revealing himself to us. So, fellas, be in the Word. That's where knowledge starts. And the knowledge that he is talking about here, this understanding way, this is live with your wife according to knowledge, is experiential knowledge. It's a relationship. It's knowing more than just facts and figures. It's knowing the person. And we're not talking about the knowledge of facts and figures. Yes, you should have facts and figures. You should know birthdays and anniversaries and favorite food. And if you're like, yep, check, 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 cool, don't start patting yourself on the back just yet because that's basic. That's 101. That's like the, that's the bare, bare minimum. What we're talking about here is a relationship where you know her, she knows you. Fellas, how's your wife doing? What is she struggling with? How's her prayer life? What's on her mind these days as we walk through these unprecedented times? What goals or plans is she working toward? How's her relationship with her friends? What's God teaching her these days? What is she excited about? What's she looking forward to? If you hear those questions and you don't know the answers, you're not quite sure, real simple, practical application point, ask. Just ask the question. Ask those questions, and I guarantee you she is going to respond and engage, and you're going to learn more about your wife. And that's the beautiful thing about having two people living together, having husband and wife, is that there's always more to know. There's always more to learn about. You should never get to this spot of thinking, okay, I know everything I need to know about my wife. I have arrived at complete knowledge. I no longer need to pursue her or engage with her because I've got it all figured out. Because as soon as you think you've gotten all figured out, and you, as soon as you think you have arrived, you're going to stop pursuing her. And in doing that, you aren't loving her well. You aren't living with her in an understanding way. You are no longer doing the things Christ has commanded you to do. And that's what this is. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. This is not a, hey, if you have time. Hey, this is a good idea. This is what you are supposed to do, gentlemen. You are to be a student of your wife, learning about her. And as you learn, apply what you learn about her in the way that you treat her and love her and serve her. The Bible is very clear on this in Scripture. In Ephesians 5, which all of us have probably heard at at least one wedding, Paul writes and tells husbands, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Paul's going to echo the same thing in Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, says in Ecclesiastes 9, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your life that he has given you under the sun, 
because that is your portion in life. Nowhere are you going to find in the Bible Scripture telling us you as a husband dominate and demean your wife. Because gentlemen, before she is your wife, she is God's daughter and he will not deal kindly with someone taking advantage of or abusing his daughter. And it would have been real easy. In this whole uh, passage, again, the motivation for all of these different relationships is live as Christ did. Christ was the forerunner. Christ was the one who showed us how to do these things. It would have been really easy for Jesus to lash out at any point as he was being beaten and mocked and executed. But he didn't. He could have been harsh and bitter. He could have just said, get away from me, any number of the times where people were swarming him throughout his life, looking for help, looking for him to heal, looking for something from him. But he didn't. Instead, he prays for forgiveness. Instead, he serves and heals and gives of himself those, even the ones who would cause him pain. Gentlemen, Christ is your example. The way he was selfless, the way he gave up his own life for our benefit, asking for and expecting nothing in return. This is how husbands are to love their wives. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Ask questions. Get to know her. How does she best receive love? How can you best care for her? Fellas, just ask these questions and I promise she's going to open up. Peter says, live with your wife in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Show honor. To honor someone is to attribute value to them, to esteem them as having great importance. Though your wife, one commentary said, though your wife is to submit to the husband, the husband is to take care that she does not feel like she is an employee or under a tyrant. Now the complete opposite of that, fellas. You honor, you lift up, you celebrate her. This is completely countercultural at the time. See, when we, with the way we are in society, when we read these passages in Scripture about husbands and wives, and we read, like in the beginning of 3, likewise wives be subject to your own husbands, or in Ephesians 5 where it's wives submit to your husbands, right? We read that, and that's when all the angry blogs get written. That's when everybody gets mad and tweets real angry things. How dare they? I can't believe that. Feminism, all of those things. Actually, when the Bible was written, the thing that would have made everyone crazy, the thing that would have driven everyone mad, the thing that would have made all kinds of angry bloggers respond had they had those back then, is not the stuff about wives submit to your husbands. It's husbands, love your wife. Treat her with respect. Show her honor. Give her understanding. At that time, women were property. This notion of loving and cherishing and caring for your wife, having an intimate connection with her, was not the norm at the time. It was completely different than everything going on in the world. But again, elect exiles, this is not your home. What is normal here in the world is not the Christian normal. We have new life. We have new identity. We have new hope, new ways of engaging with the world and the context in which we are in. So husband, show honor to your wife. Show her that you love her. And if your response is, she knows how I feel. Yeah, she probably does. Tell her anyway. Tell her with your words and show her with your actions. With the way that you love, with the way that you serve her, with the way that you lead your family, with the way that you protect your family, the way you speak about her to other people. All of these things show that you honor her. She is important. We said last week, the the word for helper, when... 
Eve is created in Genesis, that word for helper in the Old Testament, Ezer, is a military word. It is the vital ally you need to be able to get through the battle. She is important and vital and essential. You need to treat her as such. The guest of honor at a party gets the best seat at the table, the first and best food, the best of everyone. They are treated with well. They are shown dignity and cherished and celebrated. They receive the very best. Husbands, your wife should get your very best. And this goes beyond what I'm talking about gifts. If you can give gifts and you're a good gift giver, awesome. But more than that, it's how you treat her, how you connect with her, how you engage with her. She is not an object or trophy or just someone you share a house with, but she is cherished and wonderful and special and a gift from God that she is to you. So guys, for you, it should be, number one, I honor and worship God. That's one all the time. Number two, as far as honor and cherishing, that's your wife. It shouldn't be your your job. It shouldn't be your activities. It shouldn't be your hobbies your sports teams, it's God and your wife. In the instructions to wives that Peter gives in the beginning in, in 3, 1 through 6, he gives them multiple reasons, right? Multiple uh, motivations for be subject to, right? And number one, again, is this living like Christ as your model, living like Christ uh, for the world. And number two, he talks about how wives, in the way that you conduct yourselves, you can be... Uh, you can see an unbelieving husband turn their heart toward God in the way that you live as wife. And similarly, Peter gives reasons to the men, not just to love and live like Jesus, but he says, honor them as the weaker vessel. He says, honor the woman as the weaker vessel. Honor to the woman literally is honor to the feminine one. This is going to be groundbreaking right here. Twitter's going to blow up. Men and women are different. She's different than you. That's something to celebrate. That's something to rejoice in. Those differences are there for a reason, so that you two would complement one another relationally, emotionally, sexually. Women and men were made to complement and go together. Peter says, honor her as the weaker vessel. Note the two key letters in that sentence. Weak, er, E-R. Fellas, again, this is not about how you are the great strong hero that saves the day, and she is the damsel in distress who is lucky you rescued her from the clutches of singleness. You aren't the hero. There's only one hero in the Bible. His name is Jesus. You need his strength just like she needs his strength. This is not about how impressive you are and how helpless women are. You two are sinners both in the need of the grace of God. But he says, honor her as the weaker vessel. And by and large, men are stronger than physically stronger than women. That is true. And all the more reason to honor her, to treat her as one that you cherish, to treat her as one that is special and important, someone you deeply care for. You don't want her to feel threatened or unsafe or inferior or unequal to you. She shouldn't ever have to worry about the physical discrepancies between you. The only time that should come into play is if you need to lift something heavy for her or open a jar. That's it. He says, honor her as the weaker vessel. But I don't think he's just talking physical here. Because Peter just got done using a lot more words and a lot more instruction toward women about how, what they are supposed to do, how they are to live in relation to their husbands. So I don't think we're just talking about physical differences here. Peter's got something else in mind. 
Because he just got done with this whole section about how wives are to be subject to their husbands, to live into this voluntary selflessness of being subject to. This idea that is based on the death of pride and the desire to serve. She is voluntarily, selflessly allowing you to lead, trusting you, so do not abuse or misuse that. Do not take advantage of that. As I said before, she is God's daughter. Treat her as such. Honor her as the daughter of the king of the universe that she is. She is willingly taking her hands off the reins so you can drive. So, fellas, lead well. Because it's not a question of, are you leading your family? The question is, how are you leading your family? Because every husband is the leader, is the head. That's how Christ, that's how God has orchestrated it. What kind of head are you? Peter says, be the kind who honors and cherishes and celebrates and builds up his wife. That is loving unconditionally, we heard from Paul in Ephesians 5. Lay down your wife, your life willingly for her. Not sometimes, not occasionally, not when you feel like it, not when she is most lovable, but always, every day, in every decision, love sacrificially. That's how you honor her. You put her wants and her needs ahead of your own. And so you see what we have here. We have wives, be subject to your husband. Voluntary selflessness. Allow him to lead and step into the responsibility that God has for him as the head of the family. Trust that even though your husband is not perfect, your God is, and he knows what he is doing and has orchestrated this perfectly. And husbands, lead by sacrificially giving yourself up for her every day in every decision. Treasure her. Cherish her. Honor her. She is vital and essential and valuable and needed in your life. So love unconditionally. Put her ahead of yourself. And now we have wives submitting to husbands by selflessly allowing him to lead. You have husbands leading by selflessly sacrificing of himself in the way that he loves and leads. You have two people, one man, one woman, created in the image and likeness of God, mutually, selflessly walking together in considering caring, submitting, and loving one another. That's what marriage is to look like. Two people, both equally created and loved by God, pursuing him in the way they love one another. And that's what Peter says. He says, love her, cherish her, show honor to her as the weaker vessels since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Remember, you are co-heirs. Your wife is still equal to you in spiritual privilege and internal importance. Both of you are made with the Imago Dei, the image of God built into you. Both of you are co-heirs with Christ in the future and in the now. The blessings, the new life, the enjoyment of being part of the kingdom of God breaking into this dark world. The joy of being lights in the world, pointing others to Christ. The opportunity in the ways that you as a husband and wife show the world how Christ loves the church the eternal blessing and beauty and awesomeness waiting for us when we get to meet Christ face to face. All of that is for both of you. You are a power couple for Jesus. And we know that God is in control of all things at all times, including your relationships, including your marriage, which means by orchestrating all things together, He has orchestrated for you two to be together in marriage to be a living example of the mystery of the gospel to the world. Don't get in the way of that with your pride and your ego, your selfishness, 
God's doing something in and through you in your marriage together. God is at work in and through the both of you. Peter ends with, in verse 7, and he says, do these things so that your prayers may not be hindered. It is possible to be a Christian, to have put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and still for there to be a separation between you and God. If you are at odds with others, it will put your relationship with God in trouble. The great commandment that Christ gives to us before he ascended into heaven, right? Love God, love people. You can't really say you love God if you don't love his people. If you're not loving your wife well, not cherishing her, not leading well, your walk with God will be hindered. Now, if you hear that and you say, well, I got to do better so God hears my prayers. I need that jet ski. Like a broken needle, you have missed the point. Because it's not love your wife so that God hears you. It's love your wife as a byproduct of the fact that God hears you. Because you have been saved, because you have put your faith in Christ, you have understood and acknowledged that you are a sinner in desperate need of grace and that Christ's death on the cross paid that penalty for your sins in your place. You have acknowledged that, you have put your faith in him, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You have tasted and seen his goodness and grace and unconditional love. And because of that, you have access to the throne of God. You're, you have access to him through the blood of Christ. And because of that, you know God is for you and not against you. You are called to live in response to the gospel as one growing in your faith, growing into the image and likeness of Christ more and more. And a byproduct of that should be the way that you love your wife. An unconditional, unconditional sacrificial love. Are you going to do it perfectly? No. Ladies, have grace for your husbands. Gentlemen, have grace for yourself. But just because you're not going to do it perfectly doesn't mean you don't wake up every day with the intention to pursue holiness above all else, to pursue loving your wife well. I've had the privilege and honor to get to do a handful of uh, weddings. And usually I like to remind the couples that uh, we're doing I do weddings for it on their wedding day, usually right in the midst of the ceremony. I like to remind couples that it's not really about them. That the dress and the decorations, the celebration, the random relatives you invite that you haven't seen in 20 years and you've probably, some of them you never even met, all of the party and the bells and whistles that go along with that. And then everything that comes after it, right? The, the two becoming one sexually, the love and respect, the submission and selflessness, all of it really isn't about the two people getting married, but rather it is about the way Christ loves his church. See, we as humans are simple creatures. God knows that, and he gives us these tactile lessons. He gives us crackers and juice. He gives us a, a, tongue, a tank full of water for us to be dunked under and brought up out of. And he gives us relationship, a covenant relationship built on sacrifice and love. These things point us to, remind us, and settle us at the foot of the cross of Jesus, where the Son of God died for us so that we might have a right relationship with God by grace through faith. We said last week that the actions of a wife, the, the way a life 
conducts herself could build a holy kindling around the heart of an unbelieving husband. That the Holy Spirit can set that ablaze and turn that husband's heart toward Christ. Gentlemen, in the same way, your unconditional, unconditional sacrificial love, your cherishing, your honoring of your wife, this is kindling, maybe for your wife's heart, but definitely for the heart of those in your circle of influence who don't know Christ. You have an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in the hearts and minds of your family, your friends, your co-workers, and maybe even some strangers you're never going to meet by the way that you pursue your wife by the way that you honor your wife, by selflessly, unconditionally loving her just as Christ loved the world and gave himself up for us. That is our motivation. That is our drive. Every day, we say it around here that we we want to rediscover the gospel every day. We want to be re-reminded of the grace and mercy and love that we have received through Christ's death and, and resurrection. And let that be the motivator, but let that be the catalyst for the way that we are students, that we are workers, that we are friends and family, that we are wives and husbands. It's not about those relationships. It's not about those interactions. Truly, it is about us being what we have been made to be, what we have been saved to be, lights in the world, pointing others toward Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and for this opportunity to worship you. Lord, I thank you. God, we thank you for making us not have to be alone. That you saw that Adam was alone and it wasn't good, and so you created Eve. You gave this other person to compliment, to go along with him, and you are the God of community. You're the God who says, don't do this alone. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to do this life alone. You get to do it with others. And you have given us this beautiful, special, intimate relationship of marriage where we get to connect and have this be known, have us be known by someone deeper than in any other relationship in our lives. God, help those who are currently husbands, those who are soon to be husbands, those who will long to be husbands. Help us to love well. Help us to cherish well. Help us to honor well. Help us to lead well. God, we know by reading scripture for all of about five minutes, we know that the only way we can do those things is through you and by you and if we're pursuing you. If we're, as it says in Hebrews, running the race with our eyes fixed on you, on Christ and his cross, that if we can do that and put blinders to the distractions and the things that want to slow us down, that if we can do that, if we can run toward the cross and we can remember and we can rest in and dwell in the grace and mercy and love that we find there, we can then show that to others. We can then show that and give that to our wives, Lord. Help us to do that. Help us to have, with our eyes fixed on you, love and honor and cherish our wives. God, you have created this relationship of marriage to be something that points the world to the way that you loved us, the way that you love the world. God, help us in our imperfect ways that we do it. Help us to not minimize that, not take that for granted, not ignore that reality, but rather to celebrate it and to live into this calling you have created in marriage. Lord, we realize the only way we can do these things, the only way we can 
submit and love and respect and cherish, all of these things, the only way we can truly do them, the only way we can do them to the best of their ability in the way that you created it is first by relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here who does not know you, who has not put their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, that right now in this moment is the time where they push everything else to the side and they enjoy the grace and mercy of forgiveness. They step into the new life that you have created for them to live as lights in this world. Lord, I pray that today is that day where they get to experience what it means to be a son or daughter of God for the first time. And as they do, they get to see how that plays out in the world around them as they work, as they go to school, as they are friends and neighbors, and as they are husbands and wives. Lord, help us to rediscover the gospel every day. Help us to never take it for granted, to minimize it or ignore it. Help us to celebrate it, to lean into it, and let that be the catalyst and motivator as we seek to be the lights of the world you have made us to be. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.